Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Under the Shield Fight in Progress podcast. Each week, we discuss the personal internal fights challenging law enforcement officers today with our candid conversations about mental wellness, relationships, community, stress coaching, training, and much, much more. And now, please join me in welcoming our hosts, Susan Lewis-Simmons and Ace Walker. Okay. Good. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming to the show today. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the psychological garbage can. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode is going to be brought to you by our sponsor, UFIT MMA in Mesa. Um, I'll have all his info in the description down below. It's a MMA and Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym. Really good people. Uh, they give law enforcement discounts. They take care of us. And uh, they, they had me, and it was a lot of fun. So if you want to go check them out, that'd be great. Again, info down in the description below. It's a great stress reliever, and that's Mesa, Arizona. Yeah. Drives me crazy when people don't include states because there could be Mesa <laughs> somewhere else. All right. So what are we talking about today, Susan? Well, we're going to talk about a theory that I came up with 28 years ago about the psychological garbage can. And it's probably the one thing in all the trainings that I've done around the country, actually around the world, that people, it sticks with them. It's something that they, it's kind of that aha moment. And we talk about it under the shield, the importance also of training families, because they're going to be the people that probably see the very first warning signs of the psychological garbage can filling up. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the supervisors training also, because they're probably going to be the next group that are going to begin to see the early warning signs. And that's what you're going to be doing with Lieutenant Rich Mack, right? Yes, okay. yes. Uh, he was guest, on our show last week. He yes, was awesome. Yes, he's wonderful. Yeah. And he, um, his garbage can, I'm going to guess, is probably pretty full from everything he's had going on up in, no in New York. And we didn't even get to ask him about retirement. I don't know that Rich will ever retire. He's just <laughs> one of those. But... Um, but what we what we try to impose on people and get them to understand in this in the first responder world, military also is the significance that what you do is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I, I hate the fact that it is twenty four seven, three sixty five. Not that you're out policing that much, mm-hmm. but what happens is too many times in the academies they're still teaching the old archaic concept of keep personal and professional separate and that's a total impossibility we have to do a better job of integrating the two because it is a lifestyle Mm -hmm. and when we can start to do that i think we're going to see divorces come down we're going to see a lot of issues in this lifestyle come down but we're just not preparing people for it yeah i i think that well, in my personal experience with you, and I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit here today. Sure. Um, I found that communication was the biggest issue, and I, I see that in other people's relationships. We talk about it, me and my friends and the officers that I work with, mm-hmm. that what breaks down, you can usually simmer that down to communication issues. Yes. And if you're, if you're having two different lives that you're living, mm-hmm. and you're not communicating about the problems with one of those, you you're going to have issues that spur from that. And there's going to be, there's going to be lack of understanding between the partners. I think it's a huge issue in marriage with that, uh, that idea that you keep the two separate. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. You just can't do it. I was married to it for 20 years. And the reality is that you bring work home with you. Maybe, you know, guys think that they don't bring it home with them because they don't talk about it, but you bring it home in your attitude. Mm -hmm. And if families don't understand what it is that's creating the attitude, they assume it's something they've done, just like children will be the exact same way. Mm-hmm. So we have to teach people what that looks like. And it's admirable that you guys and gals don't want to bring the details home, but sometimes the attitude is far worse than the details. Yeah. 
And I've had too many spouses make the comment, well, he's not talking to me, he's talking to somebody. And then all the suspicions start and everything else. And we began to see a real breakdown in the marriage. Yeah. Well, and that, that stuff even happens, right? They do, in some cases, they actually do start talking to somebody else because yes. they feel like somebody else is, it's okay to talk to that person or whatever. So they it, understand, have an understanding. Yeah. So you, you, you build suspicion and sometimes you actually build infidelity. You, sure. you built it into the, sure. the problem. So yeah, I could see that being Even if it's not issue. physical, it can be an emotional. Well, I think that's probably more common, no? It, it is, and it's probably harder to deal with, to be honest with you, because there's a level of intimacy in that type of communication. Mm-hmm. And families, especially nowadays, with everything that's been happening, for example, up in Portland, um, Seattle, Minneapolis, New York City, even in, in my town of Gilbert, Arizona here, there's every Thursday night, there's apparently major clashes between pro-police and I don't know if it's Antifa or if it's BLM, I'm not sure who it is, but it's someone against police. And they're beginning to try to target families and find out where officers live and those kinds of things. We can't protect the families from this stuff any longer. Yeah. So we have to start to talk about this psychological garbage can. And we equate this and use it in connection to also post-traumatic stress. We don't believe it under the shield that it is a disorder, meaning permanent, unless the traumatic brain injury is of a physical nature where there's actually been impact to the brain. Okay. Um, we believe there's two types of traumatic brain injury. There can be psychological traumatic brain injury as well as physiological. And so with the garbage can, what we're talking about is the psychological traumatic brain injury. Okay. And because it's a lifestyle, you only have one psychological garbage can. So that means your personal stuff goes in, your professional stuff goes in. And if you think of your psychological garbage can like your garbage at home, hmm. what's the first thing you notice about your garbage at home if you don't take it out? Which it's I nuts. know you're known for not taking yeah, out. Yeah, no doubt. And that's something we had to work on <laughs> was making sure that your wife was um, giving you instructions you could see <laughs> to remind you to take the garbage out. Yeah, I hate it. But what was the first thing that you'd notice about it? You smell it. Absolutely. And we also... We prefer, people will call this the trash can theory, Mm. but to me, trash is more paper, those kinds of products, where garbage is the stuff that really smells bad, mildews, maggots form, whatever, and that to me is a lot more accurate of the things that y'all are dealing with. It gives you a good image. Yes. So the signs and symptoms, like your garbage at home, are smelling bad from the psychological standpoint. The things that families begin to see are things like you're irritable, you're cynical, you're snapping at your families. They begin to say things to you like you're not as much fun as you used to be. You've got that sixth sense of humor going on, which Mm -hmm. in another episode we will get into how healthy that is. Mm -hmm. But again, families need to understand that's not a sign of you becoming a sociopath. It's right. a sign of survival. Mm-hmm. It's very important. Nowadays, be careful to make sure your camera's not on <laughs> and it's not in front of the media or the victim's yeah. family. Yeah. But it is very healthy to be able to use that sixth sense of humor when you're dealing with some of the things that y'all see. Families don't recognize things. They talk about you being paranoid. You're mm-hmm. always carrying your gun. Well, if I catch an officer out without his gun, we're going to have a little different conversation. Yeah, no doubt. Because unfortunately, it's necessary for you to have it with you all the time. Yeah, I mean, you, you are what you are 24-7, whether or not you're wearing a badge. You, you 
Absolutely. your protector, you know what I mean? Well, the criminal element doesn't take the night <laughs> off or the weekend <laughs> or holidays off. They don't look at you and go, oh, he's not on duty right now. Mm-hmm. And having had my own family, my own children's lives threatened, I know how this comes home personally. Mm-hmm. And families also need to understand that that paranoia means you're prepared. That's why you carry. Nobody would complain about their husband who's a doctor always having a medical bag mm-hmm. or a firefighter who makes sure that there's a fire extinguisher in every car and every room in the house and everywhere they go. Um, it's a tool of your trade. So it's something that's just part of what you do. And then y'all will sit in the restaurants and you're always going to have your back to a wall. If you ever want to make an officer feel very uncomfortable when you go to lunch or dinner with them, make sure you get there early and sit at the table where you're looking at the door and they have to put their back to the door. I make them squirm for about three minutes and then I ask them if they want to move and they're like sweating it out. (laughs) Sit them in the corner of a booth. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And so what we say when, when you begin to see those early warning signs and families say things like that to you, we call that post traumatic stress means your garbage can's full. And everybody's garbage cans are at different levels. It can be from different things. I know one of the officers here in the Valley, he's a retired Phoenix officer who teaches with me some, was talking about this concept the first time he heard it. And he said his garbage can he recognized went back to when he was a a child and his parents had a very uh, difficult divorce. And he said, he realized that a lot of the things in his garbage can were probably back that far. Jeez. And then you think about in the academy, they're going to put some garbage in, they're going to help you take some of it out. Mm-hmm. And so everybody's are at different places. And then the next thing we notice is when you go to empty your garbage at home and you finally pick up the bag and it's been sitting there so long it has maggots in it mm-hmm. and you pick it up and what happens? Breaks and spills all over the place? The bag breaks. Makes a huge mess. <laughs> I'm glad I'm getting this right. Yes. Uh, I've only beat it in your head how many times now. Uh, the psychological garbage can, we start to see physiological reactions. Um, high blood pressure. Heartburn turns to acid reflux. Mm-hmm. We start to see uh, cancer, diabetes, and or asthma. Jeez. Um, I've had clients in the past that had all three and absolutely no family history of it whatsoever. Yeah, there's actually a lot of studies that I've been reading where psychological stress and stressors cause all kinds of physical ailments. That was something I wasn't aware of until a year ago. Yes. Um, That is totally not a myth. Well, and I think one of the things that we need to really emphasize in each of our podcasts where we address any of these things is that if you really and truly look at the definitions of stress, they're actually talking about stress reactions. Mm-hmm. So we have taken it, and because I think people need to understand what stress is, first of all, and it's always funny to teach a class, and you have a hundred of them sitting in there, and how many of you have stress? And every hand goes up, and you know they're all moaning and groaning, and mm-hmm. you go, so what is it? And then they get that deer in the headlights look. They don't know what it is, they just know they have it. Mm-hmm. It's not very helpful. <laughs> so the way we define stress, we break it down into three things. Stress is change. Because is stress good or bad? It's the first question I ask when I teach this class. Is it good or bad? Well, from what we've talked about. Yes. And before, I remember you talked about it because when I had mentioned it back to you, I thought stress was a bad thing. Yes. But really, it's just change. Good or bad doesn't matter. It's change. But it's both. Right. It can be positive or negative, good or bad. And the definitions don't really allow for stress to be positive. I think most people, when they hear stress, they immediately think bad. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true. So you're right. Stress is change. 
stressors are the activating event that bring about the change. Mm -hmm. Marriage, divorce, promotion, demotion, relocation, shift change. Um, that's another episode for us to talk about shift after change. Grossman um, hit on that too about how deadly these continuous shift changes are. Mm -hmm. I'm really pleased that I think everybody as far as I know out here in the Valley, it's permanent shift bids. You bid for it based on seniority. Yeah, they either do a six month or a year stint as far as mm -hmm. I know. Uh, it could be even longer in some places, yeah. And see, and all of those are things that can go in your psychological garbage can. Because mm -hmm. think about it. If you're, if you're changing shifts and it's a mandatory shift change where you can't stay on your same shift mm -hmm. and you're married, and let's say your wife's in school every six months, her life gets turned inside out and upside down if y'all have children because now we've got to figure out who's going to keep the kids for her to go to school when you're working. Mm -hmm. And again, here comes the professional come bleeding into that personal life. Yeah, I don't think there's any way around that. There's not. And this is why I get so frustrated over the academy still teaching keep personal and professional separate. And I think what, as, as we're talking about this, um, with the analogy of the trash can, which I really like, garbage can. Thank you. Garbage can. Thank you. Which I really like. I feel like the academies, just like boot camp or anything else, it's stress inoculation, right? We hear that. We Should talk be. about it. And there's, and I don't think there's anything wrong with stress inoculation. Not at all. And when we're talking about uh, psychologically with post-traumatic stress mm -hmm. and stress being the issue, stress inoculation doesn't teach you how to empty the trash can. It just teaches you the empty how the to what? The garbage can. This is why I'm going to have that red I'm man stick. I'm going to bring the red man stick for this it, purpose. I called it a trash can for 30 years. I know. All right. So it, I think it, what it does is it helps you increase the size of that garbage can or, so that you can, you can deal with more stress at one time, but you never really, I never really learned how to empty that, how to deal with it. I mean, that's why I came walking into your office yes. nine months ago. Yes. So that's a, that's a skill that, um, that we're probably all lacking on if we weren't taught that as kids or in our family or something, if they didn't have those type of um, developments. My, my family, we, I mean, my mom was a, a waitress and my dad's a trucker. Mm -hmm. We, there were different stresses than law enforcement brings Absolutely. into a life, right? Different, not that they're not there, but that they're different stresses. So those, those tools were different for me. And when I came into the law enforcement arena, as far as that's concerned, dealing with stress, I was woefully unprepared. Sure. So that's, that's something that I think a lot of people could benefit from. And with everything that's happening today, because we've seen 2020 has just basically taken everything any of us know, turned it upside down and inside out. So you want to talk about change, mm -hmm. there you go. And yeah. people are not equipped to handle it because nobody prepared for this. Nobody saw this coming. And so when you look at all of this stuff that's going in this garbage can and you've got, you know, with situations, uh, I know with couples that I've dealt with, where now we've got kids home and you've got both parents at work mm -hmm. and one is essential. Now who's home with the kids mm -hmm. and who's making sure the schoolwork's being done and the kids aren't happy because they're not out with their friends and doing things. So this, this whole lockdown and stuff has really increased garbage and a lot of people's garbage can. Mm -hmm. And some people talk about having a trash compactor in there and I'll laugh <laughs> and say, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but again, the other side of the physiological issues of the garbage can are things like addictions. And we see addictions of all kinds. Um, the number one addiction that we're seeing it under the shield right now, and a lot of people are shocked to hear this, is sex and porn. Mm -hmm. And it's a difficult addiction to deal with. But we also see gambling. We also see alcohol. We also see prescription drug abuse. Um, 
I think eventually we're going to see video games included in the diagnostic statistical manual if it hasn't already been put in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think well, we're probably, touched on that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see a lot uh, of people that because you guys go home and you get on those those game boards out. and you don't have to think about anything, mm-hmm. but stay focused on that game. And the next thing you know. Six hours has gone by, the wife isn't happy, the kids aren't happy, ain't nobody yeah. happy. It's like, it, 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 I was never really a supporter of the idea that something like a pornography addiction or a sex addiction is similar to a drug addiction, right? Because you immediately, maybe it's the cop brain, delineates <laughs> criminal from non-criminal, right? right? Um, but really, when you think about it, it's, it, if, you, if you break it down a little bit, right, it's all self-medication. We're, sure. all, we're all dealing with something everyone, I don't care who you are, sure. dealing with that stress, right? Good, bad, or otherwise. Absolutely. And you're all trying to find ways to kind of relieve it. Yes. You know what I mean? And it, a lot of those ways, especially when it comes to self-medicating, whether that's methamphetamines or playing video games, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not saying they're the same thing, but right. they but it, they almost serve the same purpose to a degree, sure. right? Is they, they remove you from the situation momentarily. It's, a, it's an immediate gratification stress relief. Yes. Which long-term is destructive, or it can be like with video games, methamphetamine. I don't know if you could really argue that it's not long-term destructive in any form, (laughs) but the metaphor stands, I think is that I think that it's all something that we're trying to relieve. And I think the idea of this, and I'm sure what we're going to talk about next is how to empty that garbage can. Sure. Sure. It would be something that we can all benefit from to learn how to do that in a healthy way that doesn't also detriment the family. Like, you know, saying video games, pornography or sex addictions would be a detriment to your family. Absolutely. Um, which is really what most of us care most about, right? Some of there, there are some officers that I know that are single and don't have a lot of that going on. Um, and I think that could, I, I don't know that I relate. I've been married since I was 20. <laughs> so I, I didn't have a lot of life before that where I had a lot of stress. I was pretty naive anyway. He acts like he's 50 years old. I know, 31. <laughs> um, but I've been married for a long time for somebody my age. Sure. So for me, it's always been about the family, mm-hmm. but I know that there are officers and I'm sure you could touch on it way better than I could. Cause I don't relate really to the single officers who are 30, 40 years old and dealing with this stuff. Where, where do they, where's the focus in their life? Is it just on the career? Is it just on being healthy? How do you, how do you help somebody in that kind of situation? Well, and it's like, I te- <coughs> excuse me, tell them when you get caught up in video games, even if you're single, you know, there's going to be a level of depression that's going to kick in because you're isolating yourself so much because that addiction takes control. I tell people, if you want to know if you're addicted to something, whether it's exercise, I don't care what it is, ask yourself, does it control me or do I control it? If it controls you, then you've got an issue and mm-hmm. you need to get help for it. And there's some things that, you know, we can live without alcohol. We can live without caffeine, nicotine, drugs, but food, can be an addiction mm-hmm. obviously sex um exercise and these are things that can be healthy for us but when it becomes an addiction it's no longer healthy it now it runs your life right all things in moderation yes yeah. and so even if you're single and you're tied up in video games and you're saying well i don't have a family here that is not disrupting them or porn it's not disrupting because i'm not in a relationship right. the reality is is there's still chemical changes in the brain that go on and they wind up living just about for this stuff and they don't actually live life. Mm-hmm. And then one day they look back and go, wow, I've wasted a whole lot of time and the depression and everything that can come just from the garbage in the garbage can, because we haven't said that it's okay to talk about the things that you see. 
This mm-hmm. is one of the best ways for me to empty a psychological garbage can. Peer, this is what the peer support concept is based on. This is what the organization Papa that Rich was talking about last week up in New York. This is what Under the Shield does. We allow people to talk about the things that are in there that are difficult to talk about without fear of losing their jobs, without fear of anybody coming and taking their badge and gun or locking them up in a hospital or whatever. But we have to teach them what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And we believe this is the um, key to so much of what's happening and all the negative things that we see in law enforcement, such as divorces, suicide rate. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, is this full psychological garbage can? And I remember I was teaching for Border Patrol a few years back. And it was interesting, had all these Border Patrol guys and gals in there, and they didn't know me from Adam. So, of course, this crazy old woman from the South walks in, (laughs) starts talking to them. I wasn't sure they could even understand me. And I asked the question, I said, how many of you have had a stress management class? A few hands went up, and I asked them what stress was, and they were like, they didn't know. And I said, well, let me ask you another question. I said, did all of y'all go to an academy? And they're nodding their heads, looking at each other like, does she know who we are and Mm -hmm. what we do? And I said, how many of you were issued a firearm in the academy? And now they really think I've lost my mind that I don't know who they are. (laughs) And I told them, humor me. And they all raised their hands. They were issued a firearm. And I said, how many of you were taught how to clean and maintain that firearm? Every hand went up. And I asked a guy on the front row, I said, so why did they have to teach you in the academy how to clean and maintain that firearm. And he got kind of a smart ass attitude and because it'll malfunction or misfire. And I said, you're right. But if I take that gun and I let it sit here on the table for the next eight hours, what's it gonna do? And he goes, not a damn thing. Mm -hmm. And I said, what determines if that gun's used properly? And he said, the person who picks it up. And I said, so let me get this straight. We spent a lot of time in academies teaching y'all how to clean and maintain equipment and how to use it, but we don't teach the person behind the taser, behind the camera, behind the vehicle, behind the gun, how to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And the response was quite interesting. But Bit of a revelation the, there. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it really did set off some light bulbs with some people at the top there at Border Patrol because they came to me later and said that they had, because of that example, they had us in the budget to teach for the next few years. So we've been going down there regularly. But I think that the suicide side of this is when that garbage can, you have these physiological reactions, because I don't know if you've ever had heartburn. I did Mm -hmm. when I was pregnant. Um, It's a miserable feeling. (laughs) It can affect your sleep patterns. All of these other things that you see and the things you do and the frustrations and anxieties, wherever it's coming from, will create stress issues that mean you aren't going to sleep very well. And I can tell you at Under the Shield, the reason we believe so many law enforcement officers uh, in the past have been suicidal is because of sleep deprivation. Because think about it, when you're tired, your world can be okay, but the problem is, is you feel bad, but you can't identify why you feel bad. And people start to second guess themselves. And so we call that when the physiological things start, we call that post-traumatic stress injury. And if you think of the injury like you would a broken bone, have you ever broken a leg bone by any chance? Mm -mm. Well, we're going to pretend you broke a leg bone. All right. So you break your leg bone and you go, I'm a cop. I'm, I'm, I'm 31. I'm a badass. I'm just going to walk it off. Well, what happens? It heals, but it runs your life. It will cripple you. 
in one form or fashion. Mm -hmm. But if you go to someone who understands how to set that bone, whether it's a cast or surgery or screws or whatever, is that really going to run your life? Right. You just do the right thing and then it's repaired up and you go on. Absolutely. It, you know, you may get a twinge of pain from the barometric pressure dropping periodically, which we don't have happen in Arizona very often. <laughs> so it's kind of nice for those people. But it's not going to run your life. And it's interesting to hear people talk about being diagnosed with PTSD. And my argument to them is that they're actually living fairly normal lives mm -hmm. still in the police world and all of that, which I support 100 percent because it's an injury that they're healing through. Mm -hmm. And so many of our stress coaches, so many of the people that teach with me around the country, they are doing what we call post-traumatic stress growth. They're growing through their injury by helping others based on their own experiences. Mm -hmm. And when I started this company in Montgomery, Alabama, many years ago, um, actually just over 28 years ago now, I had an old timer there that I was friends with. And he told me, he said, Susan, I support what you do, but I don't need you. He said, I've dealt with dead babies in trash cans, mutilated bodies. I've seen horrible stuff. And he said, but I'm sure there's going to be a rookie in an academy class. I think he was talking about you, who's going to be in touch with his feminine side. And he's going to need somebody to talk to about all this stuff he's going to see out here. And I laughed. And about five or six years later, my phone goes off in the middle of the day. And it's this officer. And he is wailing, crying, gnashing teeth, carrying on like a crazy man. And I said, what in the world? And he goes, I'm a sick son of a bitch. And I said, okay, tell me what's wrong. He said, I told you, I don't cry over human pain and suffering. I've dealt with all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. He said, but I am in uniform, downtown Montgomery, sitting on a curb outside my march in at the middle of the day, crying my eyes out. I said, over what? He said, I just saw a stray dog get run over and I'm devastated. Now, the interesting part of this is when I started teaching and telling that story, which he gave me permission to share, I never use his name. People in class 15 years ago would laugh. Mm -hmm. I share that story today and immediately see people begin to tear up. Huh. I've actually had to change when I introduced this into the training because when this first came about, I was doing it right after a break and I'd see people getting into an emotional state and there wasn't an opportunity for them to get a break. So I started doing it before I take the one of the breaks mm -hmm. so that if they need to go and kind of get themselves together, mm -hmm. it gives them that opportunity. So why are people responding that way? Do you think what's been the change or why what's behind that? You know, it's interesting. I don't, I'm not sure. Well, there've been a lot of changes, obviously, you know, um, we have killed the culture of what used to be choir practice, which wasn't necessarily the healthiest from an alcohol standpoint, mm -hmm. but it certainly was from, cops gathering together and sitting around and talking about things that they had seen and heard and all of that. I don't think they had the same kind of garbage buildup mm -hmm. back then that we have well, today. Was a former release, right? Yes. So explain that a little bit. What's, what's that choir practice for those of us who are brand new green boots well, that this, don't know what that is? This was a time our producer could probably chime in on because I'm sure it was going on during his day. But it was when officers would get off shift and they would literally meet at a local bar and there'd be nobody in there but police, maybe some fire occasionally. And they would sit around and tell their stories and joke about the things they had seen. A lot of the sick humor was being used. Mm -hmm. And it was a healthy way of emptying the garbage. And we have discouraged that. This is something, and I, and I understand there has to be a healthy balance there. I get mm -hmm. it. 
But the reality is, is we're dealing with a population that has to deal with things nobody else wants to deal with. Mm-hmm. The bad stuff. And, you know, everybody thinks in law enforcement, when we talk about the bad stuff. We're talking about blood and guts and shootings and that stuff. For you guys, it's things like having to arrest somebody for domestic violence and their child throws their arms around your leg and begs you not to take their dad. And those things are hard. And it's not just for the officers who have children. It's for all of you. Yeah. Children, children fill up this garbage can a lot because it's the one time you really don't use sick humor. Mm-hmm. And again, when you start to educate people about this, then they can relate. And that officer in Montgomery, I told him, I said, you know, you sit on that curb and you cry because the tears you're shedding are for 20 some odd years of dead babies, mutilated bodies. And I said, get yourself together, come to the office. And he did. And he spent four hours, he calls it verbally vomiting. I'm not a, real, I'm not a fan of that terminology, but that's what he called it. Talking about the garbage in his garbage can. And the hard part is so many of you don't recognize the garbage cans filling up until it overflows. Yeah. And then you're questioning, am I sick? Is something wrong with me? Um, and that's what he did. And this officer would tell you if he were on this podcast, he believes he would have been suicidal if he had not been able to call me. Yeah, well, I think that that resistance to that kind of thing and we let that trash build up, I think it's tied into what we talked about a little bit before, which is how it, we talked about it last week with um, Rich. Mm-hmm. When there's resistance to seek help, right? Mm-hmm. That there's There's kind of a mentality, which I definitely had coming into law enforcement, which is like, I, I can stand anything. I'm the tough guy, right? Like I, it's, it's my job to be able to withstand all the nonsense society can throw at me Sure. because that's what they need me for. Right. They, they employ me for that purpose is to deal with the nonsense so that they don't have to. Sure. Right. Um, in a nutshell, there's a lot more to it, but, sure. um, and I think that that same thing, it, both when we go home, right, you're still, you're the strong dad, whatever, yes. or the strong mom. And I, I know some moms in law enforcement that would put me to shame as far as being tough. Yes, they would. And it, I think that there's that natural resistance, albeit counterintuitive mm-hmm. uh, when, once you figure it out. But I think at first it's that natural resistance. Well, if I have to be tough and I have to be strong and I have to withstand everything, then it's my burden to bear. Sure. And you just, and you just let it ride like that and it just buries you. But have you ever thought about why that's that way? I guess not particularly, no. I'm waiting for a chief or sheriff someplace in this country who's going to Take me up on this, but I want to pull the protect and serve off the side of your car because your job description is truly problem solvers. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to see down the side of every law enforcement vehicle. It'll never happen. No, <laughs> <laughs> But that's what we train you to do. And one of the things I have found is teaching at academies all across this country. We forget to teach you. You're not going to solve everybody's problem. Yeah. And so when there's a breakdown something happens even if it happens prior to you getting there there's a level of responsibility you guys feel for not getting there fast enough i should have been able to prevent this from happening it's it's really interesting when i look at the personality characteristics Mm -hmm. in law enforcement for 28 years i've seen it the majority have Attention deficit disorder or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which actually means you're of higher IQ. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Well, I like the IQ part, though. <laughs> you are adrenaline junkies and you're caregivers. 
You know, I could have gone into an academy class 100 years ago when Chuck, our producer, was in the academy, (laughs) and I would have asked, why do you want to do this job? And they would have all said, I want to help people. I can go into an academy class today and I get the exact same answer. Mm -hmm. I want to help people. And when you look at the internal conflict of this job, this is what I tell people fills up this garbage can too, because think about it. For the ADD person and the adrenaline junkie to be met, what has to be happening? Usually something bad, even to good people. Mm -hmm. And I give them the example. When I first started uh, this, I became a rape crisis counselor. Okay. And I was going to be the best rape crisis counselor ever. And I finally was important enough. The husband always had a pager as a federal agent. And so now I get a pager. And I'm walking around the house. I'm on call. And I'm walking around the house with this pager. Hurry up and go off. Hurry up. (laughs) He walks by and he goes, you are a sick lady. And I said, why? And he said, because you're wishing for somebody to get raped. And I thought, I'm not wishing it, but it's going to happen. And I'm going to ride in and save the day. Mm-hmm. I got called out late that night, rushed to the emergency room. And I go running in there. And these two officers come out. And they still laugh at me today. And they go, Susan, let's tell you what we have. I said, I don't need you. I'm the rape crisis counselor. You go catch the guy that did this. <laughs> and they're like, OK. And I walk into the ER. And a nurse points to a curtain, and around that curtain on a gurney is a little girl the age of my daughter who has been violently raped and sodomized. Dear God. And I froze. And I'm not ashamed to say I did. I had never been prepared for this. And I'm educated. I've got a pretty good head on my shoulders most of the time. As I get older, that gets less and less. But um, I knew I hadn't wished the rape on this child. But the reality is this is what has to happen for me to do what I'm trained to do. Mm-hmm. So think about what you guys are trained to do. Mm-hmm. Worst thing that could happen to law enforcement is peace and prosperity and everybody love everybody break out. <laughs> and then y'all are going crazy. Yeah, I don't have what it takes to do your job. I don't have the patience like you guys do. That puts you so far above me. I'm way down here. and But we have to teach you why it impacts you the way it does and what's in that garbage can. And these are the things. It's that internal conflict that we're not teaching enough. I have guys after every class I teach come up and go, why didn't they teach me this in the academy? And Mm -hmm. I go, good question. Mm -hmm. Because it needs to be taught to every academy class. At least when you can begin to identify things, Mm -hmm. there's an explanation versus going to, you know, as my officer did, I'm a sick son of a bitch. That's what he thought. Mm -hmm. And it's funny to teach classes now, and I talk about the garbage can, I talk about things that, like for example, for me, I cannot watch and will not watch commercials with dogs and cats and animals cold and dying and starving. and Sarah McLaughlin commercials. Can't do it. (laughs) Won't do it. And I made that statement at a supervisor's training one time Mm -hmm. for a bunch of narcotic supervisors. And at the end of the class, this old crotchety old narc came up and he said, I got a bone to pick with you. And I said, what? And he goes... When you started talking about those commercials and the tears started flowing mm-hmm. and I said, garbage cans full, huh? Mm-hmm. He goes, I didn't even know I had one. Yeah. And he came to the office and talked about the garbage in his garbage can in an environment that's safe. We don't keep notes or records that under the shield. We don't even care what your name is. He could talk about having been suicidal at times mm-hmm. and it all came down with him. The garbage can was full. And he had sleep deprivation. These are the things we've got to begin to identify if we're going to start to make a difference in law enforcement. And I think for 
officers who may be hearing this for the first time or who don't necessarily understand why this all of a sudden is a new thing. How come officers before were able to handle this? And I speak out of observation, not out of experience. Sure. Like I said, I haven't been around long in law enforcement. But from the people that I've come into contact with um, all over the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. Been there for 30 years and been there for one. Um, I think previously, I mean, if you look at, I've had conversation with officers now, the, the officers nowadays, we look different, we act different. It's a different breed, mm -hmm. right? Because times are changing, society's changing, and police are society, and society is police. And I believe that. Sure. And I think that previously, when we were hiring officers, especially if you talk to some of the really old salty dogs, right? It's like, like Chuck. Right? Yeah, like Chuck. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's toughen up. You're going to be fine. You know, just suck keep, it up and go on. Keep it to yourself. And I think, I think honestly, the people that we were hiring for those positions, I think they were people that had big garbage cans, people that could carry a lot of stress that, that were able to do that. Not maybe it wasn't healthy for them, but they were able to keep it to themselves and better than some of us might. And they had their own coping mechanisms. And I think that because the way that times are changing, the way that people are changing and society is changing, um, we're needing a tool like this more now than ever to mm -hmm. be able to deal with the job that we have um, because we're different types of people. We're different. We're, we're built differently. We think differently. We're taught differently. So. Well, I think you have to look at it, too. Suicide has always been a problem in this industry. Mm -hmm. But really, until the last few years, nobody was really keeping track or trying to keep track. Mm -hmm. uh, departments a lot of times would cover it up. Uh, that was another issue. So oh, wow. there really, we really didn't have accurate numbers because I, I know for a fact, the 28 years I've been doing this, that there were a lot of suicides, a lot of attempted suicides. Mm -hmm. And departments would say crazy things like he was cleaning his firearm, really, and he shot himself twice in the side. Sure. Um, there, were, there were examples of things that I thought, how can you even, how can you even say that with a straight face? Mm -hmm. But we didn't want to look at it. Nobody wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And we've been forced to. One of the things that Rich uh, Mack touched on last week was the creation of MAP, the Members Assistance Program, that mm -hmm. then converted to PAPA. And that was because of the high suicide rate at the NYPD. And I can't remember what year it was. But they had unbelievable numbers. Yeah. So and this year's actually down, but last year was the highest that it had ever been, right? Isn't it, that what he said? It is. Every year... Um, it has gotten higher and higher, and I kind of have my theory on why it is down, the numbers are down this year, is because there's been such an essential need for law enforcement that maybe some officers are getting some level of satisfaction of society really and truly needing them and feeling important purpose. by it. Yes, it's a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so it's, again, I know we just had one up in Cleveland. Mm -hmm that an officer was killed and then within a few hours, my understanding is that another Cleveland officer committed suicide. Don't really have any details on it. Um, I believe a lot of these are line of duty deaths because of this garbage can effect mm -hmm. that we have got to start to pay more attention to. And I'm wondering now with all of the negativity and everything that's happening, if we're gonna begin to see these numbers, I hope I'm wrong, mm -hmm. but begin to see them start to go back up. Yeah. And this is something we do spend a lot of time talking about in our training classes, uh, especially with the spouses. We mm -hmm. do an eight-hour training where officers um, bring their spouse or significant other. We ask you not to bring both because we've had that happen <laughs> by accident. Um, but it happens, and it never plays well for anybody when that does happen. But we've got to educate people on what it looks like because it does look very different mm -hmm. today than it used to. 
And again, we, we spent a lot of time in training, talking about this and things that we can do to prevent it. But I think the key to it is the psychological garbage can. Yeah. And the, the signs are there. People see it. And it's always interesting to me when something bad happens with an officer, whether he gets arrested for DUI, whether he commits suicide, something. People around the PD will walk around and go, yep, saw that coming. Mm -hmm. But nobody stepped up and did anything. Yeah. And I think it comes back to that same culture of like, hey, we're tough. We got to deal with it. Like mm -hmm. we, we see this person with an issue and it's like, I don't know if he's going to make it, but he better figure it out. Right. And I think that's like the first thing I'll, I'll speak for myself. That's the first thing that normally would come to mind. Like, hey, man, like we got a job to do. Let's sure. get to it. You sure. know what I mean? And not until later on reflection would I be like, you know, maybe there's something under, underlying that where maybe we need to talk. Yes. And just like get it out. And, and say it's OK. Yeah. And that's and that's been huge. And for Officers that, okay, all the officers I know, I'm not even going to say some officers, all the officers I know, if you went through the academy and you did that time and you suffered in the academy like <laughs> I did, yes. and then you get out and you suffer through FTO and you, you do your hard work and you get your time on the road and you're finally solo, I believe whatever type of officer you are, whatever it is your goals are, you're there for a good reason, right? Mm -hmm. I, I really think that's the case. I really think that there's somewhere in a department that you'd be happy to work for and that they'd be happy to use you and it would benefit everybody, right? Absolutely. Whether that's school resource officer to, I, I don't know, public relations officer sure. I, or, you know, drug unit, whatever. There's somewhere where you belong that you make a good difference. And if you want to be that productive officer who's achieving that something great that you were trying to aim for, mm -hmm. having yourself squared away and healthy is the best way to do it. My mindset uh, about a year and a half ago, I started listening to like Jocko. A lot of guys know Jocko in, the, sure. in, in this oh, area. Yeah. And, and Jordan Peterson, he's kind of come out as a big one for a healthy mindset and mm -hmm. having a good idea on how to see yourself in the world. And I started studying these things and other people. They're the two big ones. And I started trying to put myself together. And then when I found you, I was kind of in this like turmoil state of, I want to put myself together, but I'm stressed out and I don't know why. And I'm like falling apart, but I have all the answers, but I can't apply them. Sure. So you're this mess, right? And that's because mentally and emotionally, I wasn't healthy. I wasn't knowing how to empty that garbage can. Yes. And I wasn't able to make room for the improvements that I was trying to figure out. And once I was... And not that I'm trained up now on how to empty that garbage You're getting can, better. but I'm getting better. And that's, that's all I want for anyone is I'm saying is once you learn how to empty that garbage can, you can really start to implement the lessons that you're learning in your life sure. to become an effective leader, an effective team player, an effective officer, a good father, a good husband. All mm -hmm. those things can come into play more when you don't have so much on your plate. And if you're leaving it all on the plate, you're taking up room that could be used for something far more valuable. Like, sure. and, I, and I know every single one of us wants to be good at our job, mm -hmm. good to the people around us, and appreciated for what we do to some degree, right? We're not sure. all in it for awards or anything, but, right. but we all want to do a good job, and we want everybody to feel like we're doing a good job. Well, and families, again, do play a, a part in this. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that there were times um, before I started Under the Shield, before I got my master's in counseling, I was probably my husband's biggest stressor. Because nobody taught me any different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, spouses don't wake up in the morning going, gosh, wonder what I can do to make my <laughs> right. loved one's life more miserable. But if we don't know, we tend to do sometimes the worst thing. I used to play devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. That was not a good way of communicating, I assure you. Certainly didn't make him want to come home and talk to me about this job. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to teach people. You know, we don't just pull y'all Pull your application out and go, okay, Ace, you're now going to be a cop. Here's mm -hmm. your gun. Here's your vest. Here's your taser. Figure it out. We put you through a training program. Mm -hmm. Families need to be put through a, a similar training. 
where they are taught what their role is, what it looks like, how they can help, how they can help empty this garbage can, not fill it up. Because too many times, I think we probably added a lot more to it, not on purpose, but because nobody taught us what it looked like. Yeah. And I'm hearing more and more different departments uh, over the last few years have been implementing little things, right? Sure. I know in my academy, in the last week of the academy, there was a whole class where you brought in your spouse, mm-hmm. not your children, but your spouse. Sure. And um, an officer at the academy and his spouse mm-hmm. talked about some of the stressors and some things, and they put on a whole class. And it was a great class, right? Sure. It was one class. Right. It was, it was an, they opened the door for you to learn more. Um, well, but, and most of those I'm finding just like the suicide, what's perceived to be a suicide prevention training Mm -hmm. is technically a suicide awareness training. Yeah, absolutely. And if we're not treating prevention on those family training days or in suicide trainings, then we really haven't accomplished much. This is what it looks like. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. And we can tell you all day long, get enough sleep and eat healthy and exercise and all that. But I don't think y'all come into an academy not being aware that's important. But sometimes when you're pulling long shifts like what was rich telling us he'd been working 20 hour days and, yeah 17 or 18 hours a day and, and three off days in a month mm-hmm. exactly when is he supposed to get enough sleep and when is he supposed to eat healthy yeah. and all, you were setting people up for impossible situations right and, and to some degree that's that is what some of us say like hey that's what we signed up for the hard times right sure we do have to give ourselves the tools to be able to recover from the hard times yes. right like we, we train to get in that fatal shooting that none of us want to be in right but that we have to be prepared to take care of and make sure that you know the people that need saving get saved and even even the bad guy when we when he gets if he gets shot we go and we provide aid and we have to be able to deal with all this stuff we train for those instances this is no different we take on hard stuff we work 17 hour days when it's called of us we come in we deal with riots or whatever else we have to prepare ourselves to be able to recover from those things and to move forward positively instead of letting it weigh on us like an anchor for the next 20 years. Well, and what about the situations where an officer um, finds out the day before he has to go back on shift, his five-year-old's just been diagnosed with cancer, but he's got to go to work. And, you know, we expect y'all to set that stuff aside. That's your personal stuff. Don't be bringing that to the office. But the reality is that's a total impossibility. And these are things that are creating more garbage in the garbage can. And what it's going to take is things like, just like with last week with you and Rich, talking about that it's okay to reach out for help. I don't worry about the people who call me for help. I worry about the ones that won't. Mm -hmm. And it's not about mental illness. Look, you guys are crazy to do what y'all do. There is nothing (laughs) on paper that makes sense about this job. Nothing. Thank God for you. But the reality is we're talking about mental wellness, not mental illness. Mm And I think too many times the focus is placed on mental illness. we got to figure out where you stand in that diagnostic statistical manual. Mm -hmm. And the reality is this is just about a psychological garbage can that we've asked you to see things, smell things, deal with things, hear things, be responsible for things that nobody has said, here's something you can do and it's okay. It's going to take you guys standing up and saying, I needed help. Mm -hmm. I got it. Here's where you can go. Here are some resources. Mm -hmm. And this is what the officers that are traveling and teaching with me are doing. Um, I have one who's retired, Phoenix. uh, Mark Valenzuela is a combat Marine. Mark travels around with me talking about being broken. 
and you should have seen him the first time he was in my office. And I told him, Mark, you're going to travel around the country and stand in front of your peers and talk about being broken. And he looked at me like I had four heads. And he, I relate. Lo- he loves to tell that story <laughs> in the training classes. And then he goes, <laughs> I guess she won. Yeah, I can relate with him. But it never fails when we leave a training wherever we are that we get to the airport and somebody's texting one or both of us talking about the things that we said either save their marriage or i know mark had somebody pull him aside one time and they'd been in a shooting like a fatal shooting like two weeks before mm-hmm. and he he told mark he said thank you for for sharing your story because he said i thought i was the only one going through this stuff he goes now i know here you are this badass combat marine and a phoenix officer with almost 20 years on the job at that point and he said, you know, if you're experiencing these things, I'm going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going to take. But everybody wants to talk about the cool, fun, tactical stuff yeah. and, and the shooting itself and all of that. But nobody really wants to talk about the aftermath of it mm-hmm. and the impact it has on your families. And that's what post-traumatic stress growth is, whether it's being a stress coach with us, whether it's pulling one of your guys aside and sitting down and saying, look, I'm seeing some things in you that I saw in myself, and Mm -hmm. here's where I went. Because isn't that how you wound up with me? Yep. It was someone referring you to me. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's going to take. And unfortunately, there's still this negative stigma. I think a lot of times that I get frustrated over the training not being taught as much. And a lot of times I'm told it's because there are some at the top or over training or wherever they are that – in admitting they need to bring this in, that somehow it's going to be perceived that they're admitting that they have a problem. Right. Odds are they probably do. But this isn't, again, about mental illness. Yeah. This is about a full psychological garbage can. And, and pride, to any degree, can hinder your growth. Absolutely. Right? And this is absolutely the same thing. Like, I, that all, all my officers out there who love to work out, and there's a ton of you, like that— you put, bet. put me to shame in the weight room. <laughs> um, you guys are ridiculous. Three hours a day. Um, this is no different. This no. is no different. Mm-hmm. Like we, we talk about this not being mental illnesses and mental wellness, right? Like you might have to come into it doing some physical therapy, right? For your brain and sure. for your heart. Sure. Um, but then once you get on track and you're healthy, it's all about building strength. It's about building strength and endurance for your emotions and your mind and your heart and training your family to do the same thing. And that's all it is. And then once you guys start get going, it, I mean, there's no looking back. Right. I, I look back now, six, what, nine months later mm-hmm. and I don't know how I made it my first three years mm-hmm. without this. Like, and I couldn't imagine doing 25 without the idea of knowing how to handle myself emotionally and mentally in stressful situations afterwards sure. and how to dump that all out and keep moving forward and keep growing. Otherwise I'd be stuck in the same place for 25 years going crazy. If you make it 25 years, if you make it that long, that's, right. that's, and now new officers, mm-hmm. I know Rich said in New York, they have to go at 22 and a half, 22 and a half, which yeah. is such an odd number. <laughs> um, but out here it's 25. Mm-hmm. I know sheriff's departments back in Alabama. It's always been 30. I, I don't know Jeez. how anybody does 30 years. And I met a group out of Indianapolis many years ago. Most of them had 40 years in this job. And I thought, good heavens. God bless them. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, that's way too long to do this job. But we've got to, we've got to do better. And we've got to look at it from not just a, a psychological standpoint, but the physiological. Mm-hmm. You know, we say it under the shield. The brain controls the body. But how the body feels impacts what the brain thinks. If you're vitamin depleted, sleep deprived, mineral depleted, you know, it's kind of like the Snickers commercial when you're hungry, you're, <laughs> you're hangry. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, all of these things, and I, I tell the guys, it's like having a brand new car. Park it in your garage. Don't put gas, water, or oil in it. That car ain't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not going to start, but it's brand new. It looks good, but it ain't moving. It's not going to do its job. Mm -hmm. You've got to provide the right stuff. And we're also trying to encourage departments, and we um, have one down in South Florida that I think is probably going to be the first to pick up on this once COVID goes away. Um, but we're looking at three-tier approaches to mental wellness in law enforcement and, and in fire also. But it's peer support, which has been around almost as long as I've been around, mm -hmm. and then our stress coaches that under the shield, and then the licensed mental health world. And it's three levels of resources that are available, different ones. Mm -hmm. Some people want to go to peers. Some don't want to go to peers. Our stress coaches are advanced peer support because all of our stress coaches, we don't, we're not worried about education in this lifestyle. I learned that the hard way. But to be a stress coach with us, you have to have done it, been married to it, raised by it, or given birth to it. We want real life experience. Mm -hmm. And I know as a former spouse of a federal law enforcement officer, I wouldn't have wanted to talk to another agent. I would have wanted to talk to the wife of an agent. Right. See if, if you need a barometer, you know, let's see what, what, if I'm falling on that scale of normalcy for everybody, or is this something extra? Mm -hmm. And this is where, again, training, y'all are so wrapped up in training. Mm -hmm because it's so important from firearms to defensive tactics to everything else. Yep. This has to be just as important. Yeah. And it's time for departments to start to put this at the front. Yeah. Being in it and having learned what I've learned, I couldn't agree more. Yes. And that's what we do at Under the Shield. Yes. And here, hopefully soon, once the, like you said, once COVID, COVID goes, away, goes away, I'm going to be trying to get that, that stress certification so I can start helping out too. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully you guys can reach out and uh, contact either Under the Shield over here or whatever resource it is that's available to you. Um, I'll be putting all that information in the description, but hopefully you guys can reach out to somebody, whether it's someone like Susan or someone like your spouse who understands and start to develop those tools to deal with these kinds of stresses that we deal with inevitably. If, yes. you're, if you're in the world of policing, whether married to it, related to it or raised by it, yep. um, you're dealing with this stuff. So develop those tools, learn how to be successful and productive while dealing with all that stress and learn how to empty that garbage can. And if you're interested, if your departments are interested in our training, you can reach out to us. You can call the 855 number or my email is also going to be up on the screen. Uh, this is for families too. It's really important for people to understand. Mm -hmm. Spouses, significant others, parents need these numbers too if they have concerns because otherwise if they don't know who to reach out to, they tend to reach out to departments. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's hard to unring a bell that somebody might have misunderstood something. Mm -hmm. And so we're here for the whole picture. There's nothing we don't deal with it under the shield. Yeah, no doubt. My 24 seven, my wife, 12 years, uh, she goes and t talks with Susan. We go together. Um, it's been good for both of us and I'm sure we can have her on the show at some point. She can give that to you out of her own mouth. We usually are forming a plan about how to fix you, but other than that, <laughs> no doubt, no doubt, <laughs> but we appreciate you being here with us at fight in progress, the under the shield podcast. And if we can do anything for you, please reach out to us. Ace, it's been a fun four shows so far, and hopefully we'll mm -hmm. be going for many, many more to come. Yeah. Send us your questions, your comments, things that you might be interested in. We have a list of exciting guests that we are going to have on from U.S. Marshals to you name it, we've got it. And we'll be lining those up and getting that out 
uh, stay tuned. Look for us on what all podcast on yeah, YouTube. Got, yeah. Spotify. Yep. YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud. Livestream.com. iTunes we're working on. So yes. we'll get that to you guys here as soon as we can. Yes. But we're going to try and get on all your platforms so you can get us whatever way you like us. God bless and stay safe and call us if we can help you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, guys.